Welcome to the Monday Morning Pastor. This podcast is brought to you by a partnership between Kairos Partnerships and Missio Alliance. Good morning, JR. Good morning, Doug. I miss having you in my office here. I really I know, do. seriously. It's, it, it just isn't the same. It's not Zoom, the same. Zoom is cool. We're grateful for Zoom, but we really wish we were in the same room together. So Absolutely. So we are a, a social distancing compliant podcast. <laughs> we, we can put that on our tagline or like on our headline. <laughs> in all seriousness, Doug, like I, I, one of the things that I've noticed the last, uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe a week or two, maybe the last week that it's, it seems that we've moved from anxiousness. I mean, a lot of people are still anxious, but there was sort of a collective global and national anxiousness. So then it moved to annoyance of just being really uh, annoyed and irritated by the inconvenience of everything that's being asked of us for the shelter in place orders. But it seems recently it's moved into almost a sense of anger, mm. uh, protests in the street, you know, open our, open our states, but also this, we're being, irri- we're, we're beyond irritated. We're just getting upset and angry and short with our spouses or our children or ourselves. But I've just noticed that this anxiety to annoyance to anger, uh, maybe anger is too strong of a word. Maybe it's a lowercase a anger, but I've just noticed this progression. So I don't know if you've noticed that, or maybe that's just me, but uh, really noticed the change uh, just over these few weeks. Absolutely. Well, and we've, we've said before, uh, naming it has a way of taming it. <laughs> and I think, it's really helpful, JR, because I do get the sense that there has been a progression in my own soul. And even realizing uh, as one who struggles to find uh, the emotional language to really recognize what's happening within my soul, uh, if, if I look back over my journals for the last few weeks, that that is really almost identical what I've been noticing too. And, and, the, and the anger, you're right. It's not this, it's not a rage. Yeah. It's just this it's almost like this undergirding injustice. I, I notice it the most when I'm on any form of social media, uh-huh. I get this sense that it's, there just seems to be the, the blood pressure raises a bit. I'm looking for a fight, you know, not a physical fight, but yeah. you just feel that. I, yeah. I really have felt that tension of, it's almost like, uh, I think for me, a lot of it has to do, I I always use hockey references or fishing references, but I've never been angry fishing before. So I don't know what that's like, but (laughs) hockey it's, it's like when you see, or any sport or any kind of place where competition, but when you see something happen to a teammate and they go down, it's like, you want to get up and fend for someone. Mm. Um, and and sometimes I think that probably feels sort of like a a holy or righteous anger, but it's just hard because I feel like that anger is also then in this particular space, it's pointed towards my family or, you know, my spouse or towards people. And and I think because it's just, it really has, as it continues to move on, it's, there's just that space of what the crap, like what, what's next, you know, what, what else can we do? So, yeah. I mean, how, how do you feel like you're dealing with all of that? Yeah, I, I I continue to be conflicted. I'm incredibly hopeful still, but yeah, a day, some days are better than others. You know, some days you just feel like, all right, bring it on. Here it is. And other days you're just like, I'm just getting, I think the feeling is just feeling worn down. Uh, so uh, I know we're not alone. Uh, you know, as I, I coach a lot of uh, pastors in the last few weeks and they're just saying like, I'm just worn out. Like I'm, I'm not discouraged. I'm not overwhelmed. I'm not thinking about quitting. I'm just, there's a weariness that's set in. And I mm-hmm. think, you know, I think when we're weary, we feel more annoyed and irritable. <laughs> we're more impatient and we get angry, you know? So I think there's just a collective tired 
spirit I've, I've noticed among other leaders. And I know you felt it, I felt it. And so there's a bit of a solidarity of knowing we're not alone in, in this feeling, although it's not ideal. It is, it is where we're at. So. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and I think n- having that, having that permission to, to realize that we're not alone, but even that it's okay to be, I mean, just, it's okay to be angry. It's okay to be, it's okay to feel that, right? Those feelings aren't off limits to us, but we have to feel them. And even again, I just keep coming back to scripture and the permission that's given in the Psalms, uh, the permission that Jesus gives, uh, especially thinking we've been camped out in John's gospel for the last few weeks. And so seeing Jesus flipping tables and seeing Jesus weeping and seeing Jesus joyful at a wedding. Uh, I'm just grateful that, that I, that we serve, uh, a God who has experienced those, who, who gave us these full range of emotions and actually showed us how to experience them as well. Um, and so even in that, I feel like that's been, that's been a really, really helpful thing. Um, and even just the, the, uh, I feel like it's been a really long spring this year. Spring has sprung for a long, long time. And that, I feel like even that in itself has been, been really, really good just in terms of recognizing the importance of being outside. Yeah. Yeah. And these are good. And, and I think it is a good segue into our guest today. We're super excited. We'll give the bio in just a second. But uh, as far as the idea of feeling, of lamenting, of grieving, we're really excited about our guest. Mm-hmm. Makoto Fujimura is an artist, arts advocate, and author. As an artist, Mako is a leading contemporary painter whose process is described as slow art. Fujimura's art has been featured widely in galleries and museums around the world for several years. He's one of the first artists to paint live on stage at New York City's legendary Carnegie Hall. In 2014, the American Academy of Religion named Fujimura as its Religion and the Arts Award recipient. And in celebration of the 400th anniversary of the King James Bible, he was commissioned to publish the four Holy Gospels featuring his illuminations of the sacred texts, which were featured at the inaugural exhibit at the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. As an advocate, Fujimura founded the International Arts Movement in 1992 and the Fujimura Institute in 2011 in order to promote the arts and culture care. He's a presidential nominee to the National Council of the Arts from 2003 to 2009. He also served as an international advocate for the arts, speaking with decision makers and advising governmental policies on the arts. He's also the author of several books, including Refractions, Culture Care, and Silence and Beauty. All of them are fantastic. He holds four honorary degrees, and he currently divides his time between Princeton, New Jersey, and Pasadena, California. I, no doubt, will enjoy this conversation, as Mako is someone that I have admired since college and is my favorite living American artist. But we hope you will also enjoy this conversation with Mako Fujimura. Well, Mako, thank you for the opportunity uh, that you can join us here on the Monday Morning Pastor podcast. Excited to be here. So, well, I've been following your work for a long time, and I think it was first in college uh, when I learned of your work. And so we're really grateful for this opportunity. We obviously are in 
unprecedented times. That's almost becoming a phrase that's used too often now, but it is so true. This new reality. Um, I know that you are in New York. You, you, you love New York. You're a few, few blocks away from ground zero, 9-11, even on 9-11. And I know you've, you've shared and you've written before how you would stumble 10 blocks to your studio and that you couldn't paint for a while and you just sat and mourned. I'm curious, you know, this idea of art and trauma, we're in this again now. Yeah. yeah. What, how has this experience been similar or different to 9-11? So, um, I am now in Princeton. I moved out about five years ago out of the city, but obviously the city is deeply connected to my psyche. I have many friends, and uh, my second son, Clayton, is in Brooklyn. Um, he's he's a hip-hop guy, but, um, you know, I think this has been a journey of, really rethinking what nine of them was like. And in some ways, this is, um, not in some ways, in terms of the impact in the world, this is much worse. And um, uh, nine of them was contained to D.C., you know, um, New York City and, and other places. But uh, now this pandemic is uh, global. Uh, and there's no human beings alive today that is not affected in some way by this. And so I don't know if at any time in human history where this was a case because of social media, we're experiencing this um, all at once in, in uh, shared experience, at least in, in the media. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's since Noah's time, you know, I don't know if we had anything as uh, as um, of an impact that is as deep as this and and yet in some other way it, it's very different because it, it is a pandemic caused by a virus and not um, an attack um, as nine of them was and and so we don't we've never experienced something like this for younger generation anybody below 25, it, it would be a brand new experience with trauma and it will be really hard for them. And as I've noticed, uh, speaking to young people, that this is hitting them really hard. Um, they've never been through something like this and they don't, in many cases, they don't understand. Um, and having raised three children in ground zero, they're considered ground zero children. Um, I know somewhat the process you 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 go through as a parent and um and i can i can tell you for sure that my three kids uh have grown up to be enormously resilient um community um loving uh children who um wants to do their best to take care of the world take care of the environment take care of each other um but do so with um the zest for life and creativity and imagination. So, so I, I really, you know, hope we, we can have them speak to the younger generation as well, but um, it's, it's, um, it's, it's, it's a very difficult time. We know that art is important, but is it fair to assume that it's even more important now? So I always say that, 
art is necessary because it's not necessary, you know, or it's 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 kind of a thing that people consider to be totally non pragmatically utilitarian. Um, but at the same time, when we look back in history and look at the works that came out of traumatic time such as this, um, you know, Shakespeare's writing during the Black Plague, Black Plague was, you know, rampant in Europe, killing one third of the population. Uh, Fran Jericho was painting. Um, Beethoven wrote as he was going deaf, um, Hemingway, you know, Salinger, uh, Gerald Tolkien, C.S. Lewis, they all experienced front lines, wars, um, and came back traumatized. And their response was one um, of creating works of art that we considered to be essential. You know, Emily Dickinson was writing right during the Civil War mm-hmm. as a casket in Amherst uh, went in front of her um, window and um, of, of civil war uh, victims. And, you know, you, you just wonder if, if this isn't um, such an important time for culture. Uh, so that, that's, what, that's why I've been broadcasting uh, every day out of my studio on YouTube, because I just wanted to give a sense of how an artist uh, can process this and think through such a time as this and, and make um, not only make sense of it, but this is a opportunity to create. Um, you know, we're self-isolating uh, creatures, uh, you know, artists uh, tend, tend to be more of an introvert than, um, than very social. So not much changes as far as that's concerned, but, but in, in terms of what you learn from observation skills and attentiveness that an artist brings and and this level of discipline that you have to have in order to create create creativity uh, is hard work and and you have to cultivate you have to um, really develop that uh, long term uh, sometimes generationally and and those things um, are very important you know today and and because they they are the reserve from which we um, learn to generate uh, life-giving expressions rather than just consuming culture or, um, you know, just trapped in our pragmatics of survival. Um, Not that those things are not important, but... but, um, for human beings, we human beings, we, we need that um, uh, level of imaginative work. Imag- imagination is connected to our hearts, and our hearts require to be fed as much as um, you know we need food and shelter. Mm. Well, we know that art is related to healing. I wonder if you'd be a little bit more personal for us. How has art and your art and the creation of it related to your own personal healing? Mm. Yeah, so... I began on this journey, I would say, after 1999 when Columbine uh, school shooting happened. I began to respond directly to crisis at hand uh, with my art. I began a series on Columbine uh, Columbine paintings. Um, And, by the way, today is the uh, 21st. Oh, wow. Uh, Wow. Yeah, and uh, last year I was... (laughs) 
at Columbine, I joined the families because I wanted to present them with the work that I have mm. uh, painted way back then and actually took 20 years. It's done with silver and there's Columbine flowers on top with oyster shell. And I found it in my storage, you know, 19 years later, and then I finished it and I presented it to the high school um, as, as a part of my uh, gift to them, uh, my prayer during that 20 years. Silver had tarnished, silver will, will tarnish over time. And um, so the darkness behind these white columbines really speaks about uh, trauma and our conditions that it took 20 years to turn that painting into, you know, into a darker tone mm. and, and, uh, how beautiful that is, you know, in some ways that, um, and, uh, you know, when, when I spoke to the victim's families, you know, this, this painting represents your 20 year journey. Um, it, it doesn't get better, you know, maybe no one recovers from this. Um, if you lose your uh, son or daughter, um, you never recover from that. But at the same time, the, you can find beauty um, in the midst of suffering and lament. And and then, of course, 9-11 happened, and I, I was immediately thrown into this reality of being in ground zero. And, um, and I can tell you for sure that day that trauma still continues in my life and marks me in um, ways that you know very real to me and and so I understand that I understand people that are still grieving after 20 years and um, and you never lose that sense of loss um, at the same time so many of the work that I do today, has so much to do with um, that period of lament and grief and um, my own sense of fracture. And ev almost everything I do is marked by that. But, you know, and then after 3-11, 2011 tsunami and uh, great uh, Tohoku earthquake in Japan, um, I began a series called Walking on Water, which is a um, series just simply asking the question, can we walk on water um, despite the devastating results of natural disasters? And um, so... So I, I seem to be kind of focused on uh, responding to these moments. I was trying to get out of it uh, recently. I made a, a real effort, and I will continue to do so, to focus on the feast to come <laughs> rather than just being locked in on the past, um, you know, disasters. And um, and I was I was doing several paintings on that theme, and um, and then this happened. So um, I'm right back in. But mm -hmm. beauty to me is is an antidote to many things. And just today I was um, talking about this these tulips that came out, um, and uh, I, if you lived in northeast area. Uh, during this time, uh, the spring has really come back. Uh, and, and in LA, the sky is just absolutely clear and you can see for miles and miles, which you mm -hmm. could never do. And um, here in Princeton, the uh, Forsythias uh, came out and they stayed for about a month, which is unbelievably rare. Um, 
they, they didn't go to green because the spring kept on being spring. Usually you, you jump from winter to summer, you know, in, in recent times. But because the spring was a spring, you had posithias and cherries and tulips and the daffodils all at the same time. Uh, which was spectacular and very beautiful. But, you know, we identify with the lament of our times and those who are struggling. Uh, you know, when T.S. Eliot wrote, uh, April is the cruelest of months, uh, you know, he was talking about the First World War. And when you see beauty, it, it kind of haunts you. And so I've been thinking a lot about that. So uh, this is this is an ongoing uh, journey, ongoing work, and um, I, I continue to share that journey with people. And I, I hope um, you know we can get through this uh, together. noticed it too it feels like this is the longest spring i've ever seen um yeah. how do you how do you keep hope in the midst of the disaster and of, yeah. in the midst of the trauma yeah and and that uh, in in some ways you don't right you you um it's okay to say you know i'm struggling it's okay to say this really sucks <laughs> it's okay to say you know um I'm, 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 you know, especially pastors, I, I've noticed, um, have a very hard time um, because they're very social uh, people and they're designed that way. And Easter without congregation is like the worst thing that can ever happen to pastors. Mm. I, I have friends um, from, you know, Owen McManus to um, many pastors who, um, I, I think have a very difficult time trying to process, but but I, I think this is also a time when you re, recalibrate what what a church is and how how do we acknowledge the fracture and and the pain, um, but understand that it is a universal condition, um, and therefore. We uh, we need pastors. We we need pastoral leadership. Um, desperately, we will in the days to come. Um, things are not going back to normal, as it were. You know, it's going to be at least you know several years before we can even talk about the economy being normal again, or even our gatherings would be limited, right, to um, small numbers for a while. Um, you know, so even if we had, a, you know, vaccination at some point, um, I think, you know, how we have responded to this time or we were forced to live our lives differently is going to permanently etch um, something about the future. And I wonder if this might be an opportunity for the church to become a church again uh, in, a, in a way of authenticity and practice of community um, and valuing what, um, you know, because after 9-11, 
we saw so many people flock to churches in New York City. And the churches weren't just, we weren't, we weren't ready for this. Um, we, you know, we were fighting culture wars. It was the most segregated hour of the week. It's, you know, <clears throat> we couldn't speak into the condition um, or have authentic community to host strangers and people who are outside of our faith looking for uh, help, <clears throat> you know, uh, pastoral leadership. And I, I think, you know, I, I did a YouTube thing for pastors and I said, you know, <clears throat> okay, we have 40 days of Lent <laughs> and uh, it, it seems like it was a universal Lent this season, but we often forget about 40 days after the Lent, Lent is over. After Easter, there's 40 days of confusion and chaos, basically, <laughs> you know, biblically speaking, um, you know, you don't, you don't have you know, the notion of Easter bringing in this new life. And, and of course, that's true. But, but the reality uh, in Jerusalem and beyond was that this, this was a utterly confusing time. Jesus shows up and goes and comes and goes. And, you know, we're, we're not quite sure who he is. You know, like he shows up and we're not sure, like, I, who are you? Um, you know, and... And, you know, meanwhile, Jesus is challenging his disciples, especially Peter, to move into this new creation, right? And, 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 and to say that, you know, your life is going to be different and, and you will have to give up so much, including your life. Um, are you ready for it? Do you love me mm. that much? Mm. And so this 40 days, you know, I think we need to ask ourselves, you know, do, do we really love God? And do we really, uh, are we truly followers of Christ? Mm. Um, are we able to surrender our lives um, so that we, we can become a new creation mm. uh, and, you know, be able to uh, broadcast and communicate that love? To, to the nations. Mm. Um, and that, that's kind of a recalibration and, and something of an introspection that we all have to go through. And I wonder if God is preparing us mm. for, uh, for a great uh, revival, great awakening that, that people uh, need pastoral leadership at this time uh, going forward. And the shape of the church is no longer about, you know, how many people you can get to come to your church and be a mega church, but it's really about how, how can we be an authentic community? Um, you know, may, maybe it has to be intense, you know, <laughs> um, that's not a bad thing. Uh, it, it would be a beautiful thing to have, you know, millions of groups of tents um, and, and pastors and lay people being trained to minister that way in local groups. So who knows? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's great. Doug and I absolutely believe that there's been no time in our lifetime where the priesthood of all believers matters more than right now. So we would totally echo what you're saying in that. So, you know, brokenness and creativity, of course, go together. And in one of the books that I wrote about the Japanese art form of Wabi Sabi, but I know that you have really gravitated towards, and I want you to unpack a little bit more about Kintsugi. Yeah, I have one here um, just to show, show you. Uh, this, this, this is a, a Korean board that has been mended with Japan lacquer. And, um, and so you can see the 
uh, fractures here, the fissures, and of course the Japanese kintsugi is a venerable tradition that came out of tea ceremony in, especially in 16th century and beyond, that uh, refined work uh, form to not just to repair a broken bowl, but to put it together with um, Japan lacquer and gold. So the resulting bowl is more valuable than the original. Uh, as 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 valuable as that was, um, and and I actually brought seventeenth um, century Korean board that has been kintsugi'd in nineteenth century to Columbine High School. Wow! Also to present that to them, uh, T family um, allowed me to uh, bring that to Columbine as mm. as a gift, and uh, when I told the. Um, victims' families, um, you know, when you hold this bowl, uh, you're, uh, first of all, the fragments when the tea bowl broke, and this this was a valuable teaware, um, probably had its own provenance and stories behind it. Otherwise, they wouldn't keep the fragments. Um, and the families of tea master will often keep the fragments for two generations before they try to mend it. They give it to a kintsugi master. Because wow. some traumas uh, you just don't get over uh, in a generation. Um, and Columbine is such a uh, fracture. And uh, so when you hold the ball, you, you, you can, you can, you know, this tea wear, you can sense what people have valued, what they felt, what they, uh, you know, and ultimately what they hoped when they had a Kintsugi master mend this um, into a beautiful um, new creation without it becoming uh, or hiding the fissures and cracks, you know, that is even accentuated. And uh, so in Kintsugi, uh, you know, as Leonard Cohen sings, you know, there's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. Mm-hmm. Um, we we can see this tangibly when we hold uh, these uh, vessels. And so I have been <clears throat> talking about Kintsugi for some time. I even did a commencement address called Kintsugi Generation. Um, and I began to work with uh, Master Nakamura. He's, he's a Kintsugi master in Japan. And he is the first Kintsugi master to want to teach Kintsugi to lay people. And uh, what happened was after 311 tsunami disaster, he felt called. He's not a Christian, but he felt called to go up to the affected areas and work with families, especially orphan children. And, and he thought, well, Japan lacquer is very hard to use. It's, it's, it's a craft tradition um, that requires, you know, 10 years of expertise before you can even start to mend, mend the, you know, um, uh, fractured bowls. And uh, so he worked with a manufacturer of another, uh, actually a fishing rod company, to uh, use their Japan lacquer, which is based on cashew nuts rather than uh, poison sumac. <laughs> and, and so they developed this uh, Japan lacquer that, that dries faster and is, most people are not allergic. So he brought those, he created a kit, brought those, those two affected areas and began to teach children how to do kintsugi themselves. 
um, he said, the most heating thing is to do this yourself and uh, bring, bring your grandfather's rice bowl or your toy and, and just learn to mend it. It takes time, but it slows you down and you think about that process. Uh, you can imagine how heating that is. So we've been doing this in U.S. called uh, Launch Academy, uh, Kintsugi Academy. And um, <clears throat> you can follow us on Academy Kintsugi at, at Mark at Twitter and Instagram. But um, we're excited about um, training leaders remotely right now, that developing a kit um, that anybody can purchase. And we'll do. We'll start with online instructions uh, at first, but you know the Kentucky workshops are ideal for like ten people, and that so it's perfect for <laughs> new time, you know. And um, so we hope to have many leaders in um, cities and in other places that that can teach Kintsugi and, and by the way, it becomes a great source of income for artist types. Uh, I call it Uber for artists because uh, they can, if they learn how to teach this and any, you know, it takes time to master it, but, but in order to get it going, it, it, it's very easy. Anybody can come into a workshop and learn how to do Kintsugi themselves. And, um, you know, and once artists are trained to do this, they, they can do these workshops in their studios, their, you know, ceramic classes to schools. And um, we we want to raise the next generation as Kintsugi generation um, because we need them to mend our broken fissures of our, um, our culture, uh, reality of what we're going through. Uh, traumas that we 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 have to overcome, and um, but again, the idea is not to fix it, but mend to make new. So it's a healing process. Yeah. I'm so glad that you differentiate between the two of those. And I think you had mentioned how you talk with the kintsugi um, master and how he described it, like whatever object you think you're bringing in. And I don't want to put words in your mouth, yeah. but it's we're not here to fix it. Is it? Am yeah. I am I right yeah. on that? That's the first thing he says when we do these workshops. He says, you know, you brought in your fractured whatever, and uh, you think we're here to do a craft of fixing your broken. That's not what, that's not why we're doing this. You know, he says, you know, we're, we are here to mend. We are here to go through the process of healing. Uh, that, in fact, what you have brought has connections to you. That's why you, it's important to you. You brought something that is important to you. Tell us that story. You know, how, how, how is that connected to your own fractured heart? <laughs> and, and it becomes like total strangers become like a group of, you know, this becomes a confessional community immediately. And, and you, you know, the entire time you, you may not talk about Bible, scripture, and the common science certainly is not a believer, although he's, he's very open to spiritual conversations um, with us. But um, it's, it's, it's a process of, uh, you know, identifying yourself in the object. And then through that object, you are sharing something um, universal with other people. And everybody uh, understands at the end of two and a half hours that, oh, I thought I came in with the idea of fixing and now I'm leaving with something entirely different. It's mending to make new.
It's such a beautiful picture of um, even just the conversations that I've had with spiritual directors. You know, they talk a lot about how um, when people are in the beginning process of spiritual direction, they tend to move towards trying to fix the stuff and they use the terminology of um, attending to versus fixing. That's right. Um, We had a a trauma counselor in in our first LA leader session um, and uh, I didn't know her until this. We we were getting ready to do a Kinsey workshop. She she was upstairs from us, and she heard about it. She, she said, "You know, I use that term all the time. Can I join?" So she came and joined us, and she said exactly that. that. She said the number one thing that I'm trying to do in my therapy session is to help people understand that they they cannot fix their trauma. <laughs> you know, it, it's not what trauma counselor can do. But if you can admit that, 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 that I cannot fix it, but I can move toward healing by recognizing the fracture, it's exactly what Kintsugi does. So she's going to be using it in her practice, you know, um, and, and exactly close spiritual formation. It's exactly the same. So even in some ways, almost seeing it as a vehicle for lament. So could you speak to a little bit how how you see um, the idea of le- lament in the in this yeah. season that we're yeah. in. Yeah, so, you know, when we um, think about lament, and, and actually I'm focused on doing a series of lament paintings through the Psalms. Um, I'm collaborating with Dr. Ellen Davis at Duke Theological Seminary, and um, we have been working on a series of um, conferences. Now it's not going to be a conference, but a resource creation for how to walk through the Psalms in lament and you know in praise. And this year we were, we happened to be focused on lament. Um, and so we're going to focus on Psalm 22 and Psalm 23. They're, they're often separated. You know, Psalm 23 is the famous Psalm, Lord is my shepherd Psalm, and Psalm 22 is our Good Friday, um, you know, Psalm of my God, my God, why have thy forsaken me Psalm. But they are to, to be coupled, they are to be seen together. Um, and because the lament of Jesus crying out on the cross, um, the listeners, at least those who are familiar with the Psalms, would know that that cry ends up in praise. Psalm 22 ends up in praise of, um, as, as these uh, praise Psalms do often, and leads into Psalm 23. The, the fact that, you know, Jesus is the good shepherd, you know, um, that, that provides abundance into our lives. And so those two compressed together is, is a beautiful uh, way of uh, acknowledging a fracture. It's Kintsugi Psalms. Um, There's something that we can journey through um, this time. And, and Ellen talks about how if we don't understand poetry and how art works, you will miss a lot of what the beauty of what the Psalms can present to us. In fact, you should say we will miss half of the scripture because half the scripture are poetic annunciations, including Genesis. 
you know, God is singing creation into being and, and it's a song. So you don't, you know, it's, it's not a um, manual for, you know, how it's, 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 it's a song sang over us, over creation into, into creation. So we can look at that as a entry into, um, and of course, Lamentation, Jeremiah, Isaiah, the Minor Prophets, they're all speaking about the fracture, the condition of um, the world, which, which, you know, that forces us into exile, into uh, persecuted minority status. And, and we, we, we have to understand our role that, you know, God has placed us in, in, in such a time as this to um, to seek the new, you know, seek the peace and prosperity of of the city to which I have exiled you to, um, and and that's been a way for me to understand my journey uh, into New York City. Now um, in Princeton, I, I I think about how even today uh, the tears of Christ, how. Tears of Christ flows into our lives. Um, and I don't mean that just spiritually. I mean that physically, um, that healing power of God, God's tears um, are spreading in this world. And we as believers, we can um, lament and we can weep with God. Um, but it's also our tears can be uh co-joined with a Savior's tears. And, you know, you think theologically, like, why did Jesus weep? You know, Jesus wept in Bethany, standing next to Mary, Lazarus' brother. And Jesus wept on Jerusalem, entering into Jerusalem. Um, But, you know, almost like, why, why would... Um, a word of God stand silent on the hills of Bethany to weep with a grieving uh, Mary when he came to resurrect Lazarus. <laughs> you know, why would he go, like he, Easter is coming, so why, would, why should we be uh, grieving? Well, uh, it seems to me that that's a profound way that we can enter into lament today is, is to understand that Jesus wept not because he is here to fix the problem. Jesus wept because he wanted to heal us um, through the process to to help us realize that this is a moment to grieve and and death is you know is 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 an enemy that that is um, uh, has created the this um you know way that we have to survive and we ways that human beings become less than human beings and and that reality still is is the same as you know except that we live on this side of the resurrection so we now know more than mary could have ever known at the time but but somehow she you know she is one of the few who intuited uh, I, I think she was an artist but um I, I think she was one of the few who intuited that this these tears of christ shed over that is more powerful 
than even the temporary resurrection of Lazarus. She, she understood something there that the disciples could not see at the time. It was only after Pentecost that they probably <laughs> thought about it again, you know, and, and how unique two words, right? In John eleven thirty five, Jesus wept. That, to me, is the pinhole through which I can understand my faith and I, I can be alive today to, to understand that God is with us. So how different would you imagine your art would be without the Christian faith and without the trauma and lament and suffering that you've gone through? Oh my, um, you know, it's, it's really hard for me to understand my, my journey, um, in a sense, because I'm such a, I, I've trained myself to be so highly intuitive. Um, I, I don't, I try not to understand what's happening creatively in my studio, um, because there's mystery there and, but I can say for sure that there's sacred presence. I've always felt this, even as a child, you know, I have a painting that my mother who passed away a year ago, um, kept, uh, the uh, painting that I did when I was three. And it's, it's a remarkable painting because, you know, you don't know what you're doing at, at university. You're not trying to depict anything. It's just uh, kind of these lines with color. But, um, you know, you look at my art and you look at that work and it's exactly the same colors. It's exactly the same movements, exactly. You know, and, and my mother saw that, um, most importantly. And she saw something in me that, that was uh, unique calling. And... Um, and so when I look at that painting, I see God smile upon me as a young, young boy and, and, and his calling that, that I, would, I wouldn't be cognizant of until I was 27, you know, and I didn't know what Jesus had done for me. But when I understood what Jesus sacrificed for me um, as um, perhaps, you know, if I were the last person left on this earth without the need of salvation, he would have done exactly the same for me. And, and I, I, when I understood that, I began on, on this journey toward new creation. Um, and I, I can certainly say that everything that I um, do as an artist and I write about is, is, is all about the new creation breaking in. And that, that is something that I would not be able to articulate had I not known Christ personally, had I not understood scripture uh, in its fullest sense, um, that it, it is a uh, journey from creation um, for redemption and new creation, uh, this, this stretched out over span of eternity, um, is something that art can always address. Um, so, so in a sense, art existed before the fall, um, in, in a particularized sense, and, and it will always exist in eternity. So, you know, that, that's something that, that is, is unique about artists is, is, uh, it's, it's, um, connectedness to both creation, um, before in Eden, but into new creation, this garden city that we will inhabit and, and, uh, 
our creativity now will be brought into ushered into that uh, somehow. I don't understand why, but or how. But but that's um, that's that's how Jesus had called me to speak about that uh, in into that uh, reality. Mm. Well, tell us, uh, and we know we're running long here, but uh, tell us a little bit about your new book, because I know this is your life work. You've been working on this for quite some time and it's coming out. So tell us about what you've been, what you've been writing lately. Well, so my, my next book is called Art and Faith, Theology of Making, coming out of Yale Press uh, on January of next year. And um, it is my life work. It, it is only a portion of what I have written, um, actually about one third of it. And, uh, um, you know, I, I, I begin with so kind of an introduction, but I focus a lot on John 11 and 12, um, Jesus wept uh, passage, because I think that I, 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 that to me, that is the central passage for me to peer into all of, uh, scriptures and uh, um, look at God as the artist, perhaps the only artist, um, and, and uh, God's um, design and ability, uh, creation, um, including the law of God, the Kalog, um, is part of the design of how the Bible speaks about um, into our fractured lives. You know, I have a chapter on Kintsugi called Kintsugi Theology. Um, so through the lens of Christ's tears, we can enter into this uh, dance with this grand artist and uh, we get to participate into the um, preparation for the cosmic wedding to come. Uh, so uh, that's what the book is about. Um, I'm very pleased to note that um, N.T. Wright has kindly written a forward, and I asked him to write a short forward. He wrote an entire essay. Wow. Uh, and, Fantastic. And, and the, so the book is worth getting just for that. <laughs> <laughs> and he, uh, because I, I rely on his theology to build my case, and actually that uh, gave me permission, actually, to write this book because, you know, before, maybe 15 years ago, I would say, well, I'm, I'm just an artist, you know, talking about I read the Bible this way because I'm an artist. And, I, and then, then I realized, no, actually, you know, God is the artist. Um, and Tom Wright's books have helped me to understand what new creation is is, is about. So um, this this has been a great journey, as as well as Dr. Ellen Davis, who's was who's been such an encourager uh, of my thinking because I connect creation, you know, theology with um, poetic understanding of of, of scripture and, and role of imagination as as opening up our hearts, um, you know, to, to God's praise and uh, God's presence. And, and those, those people, conversations I had with them have, have been seminal in this book. Well, we're eager to, to dive into that in January. And uh, thank you for all of your work, both as an artist, as an author, as an advocate for the arts. We are so grateful. Thank you for your time today. We're really grateful for you carving out some time to be with us here on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
Well, Doug, I have to admit, I absolutely love that interview with Mako. I could have listened to him talk all day. Buddy, I loved how excited you looked just the whole time. <laughs> You're like giddy. It was great. <laughs> well, I I am a I'm a huge uh, Mako Fujimura fan. He's my favorite living artist, and so uh, like I said, I've been following him for 20 years. So it's been an incredible treat uh, for us to have this conversation with him. I am I am mm. just so grateful. Um, if you are unfamiliar with Mako Fujimura, and he goes by Makoto or Mako for short, it's M A. K-O-T-O, Fujimura, F-U-J-I-M-U-R-A. Look him up. His artwork is amazing. And uh, he's both a... It, sometimes we've found, Doug, that artists aren't always good at expressing their words, which is why they love art. But what I love about Mako is, it, in terms of writing, he is one of the few amazing artists who is also a great author, if, I, if that makes any sense. So what stuck out to you, Doug? Oh my gosh. It's like, what didn't stick out to me is probably the better question. Nothing. It was all, yeah, I, I felt like I was talking to a theologian who has really thought through um, lament and the importance of expression and the journey of it all. I, um, yeah, I, I, gosh, I think just the, the one phrase that has just really resonated though, is he said, uh, my kids were, were post nine or were nine 11 kids or something, something to yeah. that expression. Yeah. And just thinking about how, how for me, I, I think a lot about how our, our kids, you know, your kids and my kids will be COVID-19 kids. You know, this is, um, and just the importance of, of helping our kids express what it is that they're going going through. Um, so yeah, I was just really, really grateful for that. Um, how about you, JR? Well, I mean, we've, we've talked about Wabi Sabi here on, uh, this, uh, podcast before, but I love that he talked about Kintsugi and, and they're very similar. And in fact, sometimes they're, they're hard to differentiate between the two, but I love that he talked about Kintsugi and how similar it is to Wabi Sabi. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's the gospel, right? That's, that's what art is. And art is helping us in that. And I loved, um, more than the Kintsugi pieces, I love that the workshop that he talked about with the Kintsugi master and how saying we, we, do, we aren't trying to fix anything. We're just trying to behold the brokenness and look at the broken long enough that maybe it can teach us something and then it can become beautiful. That we're trying to mend it and make, make it things new. We aren't trying to fix. And I think, man, I, that's just a lesson I need to continually be reminded of that pain and brokenness and trauma is not to be fixed. It's to be mended, to be attended to, to be, to be beholded. And, uh, anyway, that, that Kintsugi really stuck with me and I'm not necessarily a quote unquote artist, but I am a visual learner. And so for me, that mm -hmm. was really fun to be able to, to be able to see that. I, I think that's really important. And, and I think we're jumping ahead a little bit to resources, but, uh, the Kintsugi Institute that he talked about, uh, and he mentioned they were on Instagram. I started following them on Instagram yesterday and I'm just like loving what I'm seeing on their Instagram page. So, uh, pretty exciting stuff. So, um, yeah, you know, the idea of lament too, um, one of the things that I heard recently, Donna Harris, who's the founder of Builders and Backers, which is this movement of, of community-based entrepreneurs, um, he, she was interviewed recently by Andy Crouch on a podcast, and she talked about how lament is this encounter with God that precedes redemptive action. 
and that in lament we approach God in a way that sort of uh, encases or enfolds complaint with trust and uh, that expresses both his sovereignty and his goodness at the same time, even if we don't understand. But she talked about the six-part flow or the six elements of lament, which I thought were really helpful. And I'll give Mm -hmm. them to you real quickly and we can put them in the show notes as well. But number one is crying out to God. Number two is affirming trust in God. Three is petitioning God to restore. Four is making additional arguments. Five is expressing rage against loss and injustice. It's almost like we return to it. In case you missed it earlier, God, I'm going to give it to you again. And then number six is praising God in assurance of his promises to hear us. And that was, that's just been super helpful. And I, I, I mean... I know Mako didn't necessarily uh, talk about um, the, the elements of lament, but it just made me think about what Donna Harris had mentioned as a potential resource. And I know that in the future, we're going to be having a conversation uh, with uh, Phil Monroe as well uh, here on the podcast to be able to talk about this and, and uh, about lament as well. But um, yeah, uh, let's, let's give a couple of resources and then some questions. And uh, then Doug, you can send us out. But um, you know, resources, again, we mentioned makotofujimura.com. But we really want to encourage you to go to the website, makotofujimura.com. And again, he mentioned on Instagram, uh, Kintsugi Institute. Uh, and that's K-I-N-T-S-U-G-I. Kintsugi is how you, how you would say that. But also Mako's three books that he's written, which are fantastic books. I've read them all. They're fantastic. The first one is Refractions with Nav Press. That was years ago. I still remember reading that up in my office in our old house and how that impacted me deeply. Uh, the second one is Culture Care, Culture Care University Press. And then the third one, uh, Silence and Beauty, The Hidden Faith Born of Suffering. And uh, anyway, it's a fantastic, fantastic, fantastic uh, book series, all three of them. And then really looking forward to his new book that's going to be coming out that he talked about in the conversation. So, Doug, what about some questions that we can give to our listeners? Yeah. Uh, So the questions that I think would be helpful for us to sit with are, uh, what do you need to lament? Um, And then two other ones that have just been kind of ringing in in my ears are, uh, where does your mind need to shift from fixing to mending? And where do we need to experience the tears of Jesus? Um, And so those are the questions that uh, my sense for us as pastors and leaders to sit with over the next few days might be really helpful. And I I even want to encourage you pull out a journal. Maybe those are some good opportunities. And whenever we give you questions, we we always, I always imagine in my brain, these are things we could write down and then journal through and have opportunities just to sit with the Lord in that. Um, But yeah, so uh, pastors and leaders, may you recognize that in the broken spaces of your life, Uh, God isn't really that concerned about fixing as much as he is mending and healing. Um, May you recognize that even in the crucified, risen Lord, that his scars and his wounds are still visible and touchable because God is writing a bigger story, a story of redemption and renewal of all things, even the broken things. Amen. Amen.